How about that cigar? How about that cigar? Well, guys, welcome to episode number 55 of How About That Cigar Live. We are here, as always, in the Drew Estate Cigar Studios, and we want to talk to you about a brand new announcement from Drew Estate. They want to announce the spring seasonal release of their infamous Flying Pig Vitola, including Liga Provada number 9 and T52, Undercrown Maduro, Shade, and Sungrown, and Kentucky Fire Cured. The Kentucky Fire Cured Flying Pig with Kentucky Seed Tobacco Grown and Fire Cured in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, Nicaraguan Brazilian Nicaraguan and Brazilian fillers wrapped with a Mexican San Andreas leaf. And, of course, the underground Maduro Flying Pig features, features a Mexican San Andreas Maduro wrapper. The Undercrown Shade Flying Pig fe- features an Ecuadorian Connecticut Shade wrapper. The Undercrown Sungrown Flying Pig features a Sungrown Sumatra wrapper. And rounding out the releases is the Liga Provider Number no. 9 and Liga Provider Number T52 Flying Pigs. For more information on all of that, please visit DrewEstate.com. So, uh, so Garrett, week number uh, 77, 77 of lockdown. It yeah. feels like week 77. It's it's in it's all ap- told, it's week six, I think. The apocalypse is happening. But, yeah, sometimes, you know, you go through this and, and you get a little stir crazy kind of being locked up. But, you know, we hope you guys are getting out there like we've we've been doing a lot, doing V-herfs and getting together with people on Zoom or on Facebook and things like that. Uh, just, you know, keep doing that and, uh, you know, get out there virtually and enjoy other people's company. Talk about the cigars you're smoking, the stuff you're drinking along with your cigars. Mm-hmm. Um, and a- a- around the country, around the world, if there are still places that are offering delivery for, you know, brick and mortar cigar shops, please, you know, please do everything you can to continue to give as much business as possible to your brick and mortar cigar shops to uh you know, help uh, give them a little bit more of a boost while all this is going on so they can, when when it's all over, they can reopen. Uh, and we really appreciate you guys continuing to give business to them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, reach out to your local Facebook groups and find out what, uh, what shops, because somebody knows something and uh, these guys really need our support as much as, uh, as we can give them. Yeah. And the V Herfs, Man, they've been a blast. They really have. I mean, we here at Minnesota Herf Connection here up in mm-hmm. Minnesota, we have a lot of fun, you know, getting together, smoking cigars. We play games. There's, you know, there's uh, these Jackbox games you can play mm-hmm. together online. Uh, there's even some card games you can play together online. So, you know, get don't don't just, you know, uh, you know, sit by yourself reading a book, which from time to time is nice. But sometimes you just got to have some good conversation with absolutely with some great cigars. So keep keep getting out there on on the v herfs and and getting to know new people having conversations with with some of your friends well, uh, silver lining i haven't heard of a single person having their tp uh their house tp'd that's that is the silver lining that mm-hmm. is true mm-hmm. so no no house tping right now um and if you it's it's kind of funny because if you if you are one of those lucky people that's that finds uh toilet paper at your local store it, it, you feel like uh, you feel like this this conquering hero coming home from, you know, uh, coming home from war with, uh, you know, the, uh, um, you know, your your package of toilet paper from Costco. You think to yourself, I, I, I am the victor, you know, yes, it's, it's, absolutely. Uh, but uh, as far as I know, you know, there's uh, there's plenty out there to be had. So just uh, stay safe at home and uh, keep smoking your cigars and uh, keep 
spending time online with people that uh, you know you can have good conversations with. Um, there is some good sports stuff hopefully coming up. You know, when when things start to loosen up with with uh, restrictions, hopefully we're going to see at least some modified uh, version of a baseball season. Mm-hmm. Um, it's looking like we might see a also slightly modified version of an NFL season. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we just mm-hmm. have to, uh, uh, you know, just support your team, support your shops, and support each other during all this craziness that's going on. Uh, cricket. Cricket? Yeah. Support your cricket teams. Oh, cricket teams. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. I yeah. mean, hey, if, if, if you're Curling. That, curling. Yes. Um, yeah. uh, bocce ball. Bocce ball. Yes. Competitive darts. Competitive darts. Yeah. You've gone off the rails. Damn it, Seriously, it's early. the insanity has set in. The insanity has truly oh, yeah, set in. It has. Uh, but guys, right now we have a very special guest this evening, and as always, our special guest segment is brought to you by Corona Cigar Company and CoronaCigar.com. They are the internet's largest and easiest to use virtual cigar store. Corona Cigar Company offers you the finest handmade cigars, humidors, and cigar accessories at the absolute lowest possible price. You will also find unique and limited cigars containing Florida sun-grown tobacco. As a proud American, president and founder of Corona Cigar Company, Jeff Borshowitz, believed it was possible to bring cigar tobacco farming back to Florida. At Corona Cigar Company and CoronaCigar.com, you'll find the best selection anywhere in the world of cigars containing this special Florida sun-grown tobacco. If you live in Florida or are just visiting, be sure to visit any of the great Corona Cigar locations in downtown Orlando, Sand Lake, Lake Mary, and also the Davidoff of Geneva Lounge in Tampa. For more info on all of that, please visit coronacigar.com and floridasungrown.com. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you would please put your hands together and welcome to How About That Cigar Live, episode number 55, Klaus Kellner from Davidoff Cigars. Klaus, how's it going? How's everybody doing? Thank you for having me on your show, Garrett and Matt. It's a pleasure. We've been looking forward to this for a long time. That's yeah, right. That's right. It's uh, it's been a long time coming. We're so happy to finally have you on the show. And and uh, it's uh, it, it's for me especially. And I've talked about this on the show a little bit before. Class, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you before. That, but my first premium cigar ever in my life oh, back in 1996 life. was a Davidoff. Wow. So it's uh, that it's a brand that's held a special place in my heart since the very beginning. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been excited over the last couple of years to get to know you, you know, back in the years that I was with Blind Man's Puff and meeting you at IPCPR and hanging out and um, just very excited to have you on the show because we get we get such a wealth of knowledge and, and just cool things that we can learn about, you know, d- just some of the great things that Davidoff has going on and and some of the interesting things that we can learn as cigar consumers about, you know, uh, getting more out of our cigar experience. So we're really excited you're on tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember by any chance what was that first cigar? Because you definitely spoiled yourself. You started on the right foot. <laughs> I did. I did. And I, I don't remember. It was a white label. I think it was. I think it was. Uh, and it's so back in 1996, um, it was it, it was a $10 cigar. So 20, 26 year, 24 years ago. It was a uh, it was a ten dollar cigar, which would probably equate to about a thirty five dollar cigar today. So it was definitely one of the higher end Davidoffs, and uh, it was one of those circumstances where I walked by this premium cigar shop and the, my eyes lit up, and I said, "What is this place?" And I walked in, and the the tobacconist was very accommodating and taught me a lot, and 
helped me pick out a cigar and um and i i loved it and it's it's uh you know been a, a great ride ever since back when we launched the uh, davidoff in the in the united states dominican davidoff right davidoff made in dominican republic in 1990 at the inauguration uh my father made uh at the my father met this lady well she he had already met her but maybe you guys know of Diane from Chicago uptown store oh yeah yeah oh, yeah wow yeah. A legend yeah. in the industry right? right we have a lot of funny stories with her she's great she was a great sales uh, woman and uh i remember we one time went to chicago and we carried around all of the united states we visited like five six states before getting to chicago we carried this huge humidor and it had a picture of her and my father on the on the humidor and we give it to her as a gift this is about a year before she passed away and she sees the humidor and she says hanky this is beautiful i think i can sell it for 20 grand <laughs> <laughs> so this lady when she, when davidoff came to the united states she saw the davidoff anniversary number one, the big one and she yeah. it was an $18 cigar this huge cigar. And she's like, this is what the market needs. We need yeah. high expensive cigars, premium, very, very expensive. I yeah. can sell this. <laughs> Back then the market was, everything was under 10. That, that thing over, over $10, that did not exist at all. Yeah. I, and I, I remember, you know, he, because like I said, the tobacconist at the time took me through and showed me a lot of different cigars. And, and he had, one of the questions he asked me was how much money did I want to spend? And I said, I said, I'm going to go all out, you know, I might as well, you know, it's my first, uh, my first time. So just, you know, get me, get me into a cigar that's, that's approachable, but, but really outstanding. And he, he pointed to the box of Davidoffs and I said, yeah, I'll take one. And he showed me, he showed, he actually cut the cigar for me. I wasn't going to smoke it there, but he cut the cigar for me. He, he gave me a little instruction on how to light it when I got home and, and it was a great experience and, really uh kind of lit the no pun intended lit the fire in me to to uh you know have a love affair with premium cigars it might have been this cigar the and number three was launched in 1993 oh it might have been the cigar and it's around that price range too back then so yeah this could have been it this could have been one that's so cool i mean that's kind of fitting so yeah the uh, uh we're smoking the anniversario number three uh, from the these beautiful glossy white painted tubos, and um, Klaus was very kind to send us some of these to smoke on the show. And it's just, um, I, I haven't even fired mine up yet, but I can. I'm starting to smell some of the aromas from Garrett's that he just fired up, and I mean, it's just really great aromas in the air right now. I'm not going to talk for a while. <laughs> <laughs> just concentrate. Yeah, focus focus so matt with your first cigar being a davidoff and my first cigar being a fuente we were really ruined from the start that's that's just unfair almost it's hard to go back it, it is. is yeah when when you uh and and i we've encouraged people you know our viewers and listeners we've encouraged them to to take chances sometimes if they they might be sometimes shocked by certain price points but I think uh, a lot of people that I know who have finally taken a chance and spent spent a little bit more of a premium price on a premium cigar have been very pleased with the results because there is um, 
the, I mean, you can get outstanding cigars for very, very little money, but you, the, the chances are higher that you're going to have a, a great cigar experience if you're willing to put a little bit more of investment into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and that's been my experience. No doubt. You know, a lot of things in life, um, you know, the things that we enjoy, if it's food or drink or whatever, you get what you pay for most of the time. There are those things that I think um, get on the top shelf that maybe shouldn't be there, but um, it's certainly not the case with what I'm smoking right now. <laughs> uh, what, what cut did you do? I see there's a different cut. You did a V cut, right? I did. Yeah, he's a he's a V cut guy. And both of you did V cuts, or no? I'm a straight cut guy. I'm saying I'm a straight cut guy. I tried, so I. I tried a, a V cutter and I, I used it for about six months and I just, just for me personally, I, I didn't really have any issues with the V cutter. I mean, I had some, but I just prefer the the straight cut. It just works better for me. I, um, you know, I, I really balked at using my V cut because anybody who uses a V cut often knows that there's a higher percentage uh, chance of you cracking the cap and or wrapper and that's the last thing i wanted to do but i rolled the dice and and i and i got a good cut so I'm the super- most important thing is that when you decide on a cut especially if you like are somebody that likes to really analyze cigars or you're an influencer or you do reviews or things like that or you are a blender uh, try to always maintain the same cut Always maintain a standard, a consistency with your standards, how you rate something, because the cuts will vary uh, the type of flavors that you receive. Yeah. And normally, a smaller opening will be as less intense flavors, less smoke. Uh, so it, it varies from time to time. So you might be experiencing a slightly different experience than what we are experiencing. Yeah. Remember but, when punches yeah. were really popular? Yeah, punches did go through a period of time where they were they were all the rage. They but, were all the rage, and then it, it just it's gone. Yeah, I was never a fan of a punch. Gun I wasn't myself. either. I mean, my my punch is my nail. When I'm in the factory yeah. and <laughs> I don't have a cutter with me, yep. it's so, precise. So, Klaus, give uh, all uh, all our folks that are watching and, and listening right now, give us an idea of where you're broadcasting from. Uh, and we obviously know you're smoking the same cigar right along with us, uh, the anniversary of number three. But uh, tell us where you're broadcasting from and if you're enjoying a beverage with your with your cigar. I am uh, reporting in from Dominican Republic. So if there's a power outage and I disappear for a second, <laughs> I'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> but um, let's hope. That doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm in Dominican Republic with my family. We're all safe and sound. So thank God for that. Yeah. And I mean, I'm also very close to the factory. So I don't think I'll have a shortage of cigars during this quarantine. So that's one of my least worries. My biggest worry is my is my drinks, though. I'm, I'm running through. I'm going through really <laughs> nice things that I haven't touched in many years. You know, this bottle that was very special. Mm-hmm. Uh, I open it. Well, now we're opening up everything with my family. <laughs> yeah. So today I am enjoying. Actually, this bottle was so old that the cork fell in. But it's Siglo de Oro. So very there nice. You go. It's nice rum from Brugal. So this is their um, 100th anniversary. That's beautiful. Uh, 
Beautiful. And it's newer style. It's a little sweet. But yeah. Uh, I, I love rum with my cigars. And I normally am an extra viejo kind of guy. I would go for, I like my normal rum that you can get in a corner of a supermarket, play dominoes, cigar. Yeah. But today was a little special. I've been looking forward to this uh, interview. So I, yeah. I got their 100th anniversary rum. Nice. Yeah. I'm, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm enjoying a couple things. I, I've got a little bit of uh, uh, Plantation XO, which is a nice Barbados uh rum and then uh uh garrett brought us some nice uh non-alcoholic uh hairless dog ipa which uh and we talked about this before we went live but i i'm not a non-alcoholic beer drinker because most of my experiences have been bad but this is actually very good so um very very nice um so class give us an idea of you know you were because you Correct me if I'm wrong. You were born around the same time that your father started taking over the the production, you know, for Davidoff in the Dominican Republic. Is that correct? Yes, ex- exactly correct. So, uh, so to, what was what was was that 1990? Yeah, 1990. Okay, okay. I was and, actually born November 1990, and the first production of Davidoff in the Dominican Republic started January 1990. Mm. And uh, the when the party I'm talking about with Diane, when uh, she was saying $18 cigar, this is what we need in the market. That party was uh, f- four days after I was born. So my dad, after I was born, immediately flew to the United States to be <laughs> at the inauguration of Davidoff in the United States. I left my mother with a newborn baby to went to work for cigars. <laughs> oh, oh man. man. I was born around then, too. Yeah, he was. He's yeah. he's full of shit. Uh, <laughs> I was not either, but <laughs> anyway. But so I I want to know about this is something I've been I'm curious about since I met you was what can you think of one or two of those first ex, because you grew grew up around tobacco and around cigars. And you, can you remember you know some of those first distinct memories you have of being of seeing the fields or or seeing the factories or seeing you know uh, any any of those interesting sort of romanticized parts of the cigar industry uh what were some of those earliest memories that you have there is one particular memory that will always like i don't know it's when i think about me in the tobacco fields there's one very particular memory i was uh, probably four or five years old it was actually before. Um, I don't. If for the people that have gone down to Dominican Republic and visited uh, one of Davidoff's most famous farms, which is the Hikome Farm, uh, part of my family's farm, um, that farm had not even started back then. And we went to another farm, and I was four or five years old. I'm walking through. The tobacco is really, really small. It's about like about waist high, and I'm a little, little kid. And my dad just comes up behind me and makes me crouch down, and he looks at the top, top part of the plant where the leaves are just starting to come out. And he looks, points at the bud and he's like, you see this little bud? This is where one day more leaves are gonna come out and then the flower's gonna come out. And I have this specific memory of him showing me these little leaves. And now we do that with every single kid 
in the family. So all my nephews, my nieces, we go to a farm and we show them that bud coming out because it's like where life comes out. And it's it, that's one of my most defining memories. And we, I love that we do that with every kid in the family now. That's really cool. That um, is an awesome memory. And what's, you know, because you have this, you have this lineage and, and, and there are so many people in the cigar industry that have this where, you know, they come from people who came from tobacco, who, who, you know, they grew up around cigars. And when you were, you know, when you grew up and you, you got to be a teenager and then you got to be a young man, what, what did you go through any periods of time where you thought to yourself, I'm, I'm definitely going to go into the family business or did you, did you ever have any other thoughts about, you know, other interests or other things that you studied and were really involved with that you thought, I think I might actually go into a different field of work. I was always a very ambitious kid. Uh, I mean, I'm talking more like elementary middle school kind of thing. I mean, uh, I was always uh, like top of the class, really good grades, and I, I always the sky was the limit. Um, but when it came to career day, I, every single career day, I would come to school, to a Christian school, by the way. Uh, all my teachers were missionaries, uh, an American Christian school. I would show up with my Panama hat. I actually have it right here. Show with my Panama hat. Oh yeah, with my traditional chacabana, and always with cigars in my pocket. So you're walking in as a little kid with cigars in your pocket. Yeah. It's a Christian school, and they're like, "Are you serious? Like <laughs> with cigars? Like that's not that's not good for you." And I'm like, "No, that's what I want to be." So you can't stop it. Like the reason why I'm in this school is because my dad works in tobacco. So yeah, stop it. And, <laughs> At one time, I did go to the career day uh, wearing soccer cleats and, you know, jersey and everything. Yeah. And, uh, but, of course, that never really happened. Uh, didn't really didn't really have other, other things in my mind. When I was in high school, I already knew 100%. And when I was in the university, every single project I did that I could do, I did it based on tobacco. Yeah. I, wow. Even in high school, I remember I had a speech class and my teacher, may she rest in peace, very Christian. Uh, I went up on stage in front of I don't know how many people and I talked about the benefits of cigar smoking. <laughs> I love it. That's fantastic. I was like 16 yeah. years old. I mean, I did research, you know, how nicotine helps the body against Alzheimer's. I did everything. You know, and I went up on stage in a Christian school and I talked about the benefits of smoking cigars. And of course, she went, she came up to me. She's like, I'm going to give you an A because, kid, I mean, you you got, you know, yeah, you got yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she's like, I don't agree with anything you said, but I'm still going <laughs> to give you that A. I love it. That's great. Because, yeah. You've got to have you've you've seriously got to have balls to get up at a Christian school and give a presentation about how good cigar smoking is for you. I mean, well, and you you know you were passionate and you've kept that passion from a young age. I don't know how many, um, especially you know, it's more prevalent in men to want to carry on the family business or you know do what their father has done, and um, but there's always you know a, a time of rebellion at some point for most. Man, and I'm generalizing, I know. But for you, 
you went through high school, you went through university, and here you are. And uh, that is amazing. And uh, I thank you for it. I actually had one moment of rebellion. Oh, (laughs) but but it's the opposite. I I wanted so badly to work in cigars. So this was my rebellion. My parents thought that the best thing for me was to study abroad, you know, go to university outside in the United States or Europe. I, I could choose. And I told them that, no, I wanted to study in Dominican Republic so I could start working in cigars as soon as possible. The moment I graduated from high school, I wanted to work in cigars. And, well, my mother's response was, I'm going to kick you out of the house if you do that. <laughs> <laughs> so really? I, I was forced, you know, forced to yeah. go study abroad. And I decided to go for one year to France. And then I did three and a half years in Florida. Uh, and that's why I didn't start earlier. Because if not, I would have, the moment I left high school, I would have started working in cigars. So what was... Uh your first experience where you actually lit up one of your family's cigars? Uh, My first tasting of a cigar, I remember the first time I tried a cigar, right? Like I took a puff. I was four years old. Wow. (laughs) I I asked my dad for permission. They were all in the dinner table in in my parents' apartment at the time. And I was curious, you know, you're a little kid. You want to be like your dad. And my dad let me. He's like, here, have a puff. Try. But um, I didn't I didn't um, I didn't enjoy a full cigar. So I was about eight years old. Um, My dad would do seminars and I would uh, sit in the back of the seminars. So you got all these retailers that come down to the Dominican Republic. And I would sit in the back and I would just take the seminar with them and I would just Puff away at a, actually at the time, a Grand Cru number three. So you could probably say that Grand Cru number three was my first cigar ever. And I didn't enjoy a full cigar by myself, out of my own will, 100%. You know, like, okay, I want to just go and relax. I was probably 15 when I enjoyed my first cigar by myself. 17 is when I really started enjoying cigars on a frequent basis. Yeah. Uh, we've got a, a really good uh, viewer question here from uh, Paul who says, being new to cigars, what would you say sets David off apart from the rest of the world? I think that what sets David off apart uh, more than anything else is the amount of quality control that we have. You know, anybody can make a good cigar. Everybody has good cigars and everybody has cigars I might not care for. Even in the Davidoff brand, there's some cigars that are just not my taste profile. Are they good, bad cigars, depending on taste? That is very personal. But when it comes to quality control and having a cigar consistently burn well, have good construction, you know, be perfect in not just uh, how it was rolled, but even the tobaccos that were selected, uniform colors, oily, the quality control is the most important thing because you can make good cigars You can be a great blender, but if your people in the factory don't have the mentality of quality, a quality culture, then they will not be producing the best cigars in the world. And when you have a Davidoff cigar, it is guaranteed that that cigar, I mean, will, as best as humanly possible, will always be as perfect as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, we've talked about that with a few other uh, manufacturers, and um, that's been a really consistent answer is because the... 
at its core, and, and we, we kind of always say this to consumers, is at its core, you know, a premium cigar, regardless of what factory it's made, what country it's made, what brand it is, at its core, it's the same thing. It's tobacco leaves rolled up with, uh, you know, with the filler leaves, binder, wrapper leaf, uh, made from, you know, whole leaf, black tobacco that was fermented and cured and fermented. So at its core, it's the same thing. But there, every company has its own differences that they use to set it at a higher level than, than just the core. Because just a core cigar that's just straight up rolled up tobacco leaves, it is what it is. But there's those there's those delineating factors that some factories use. And like you said, for for Davidoff, it's definitely quality control. I mean, we're insane. We we go above and beyond when it comes to quality control. Even just when the cigar is made at the rolling table, it hasn't left the galera, the rolling floor. There's seven quality controls. And if the cigar doesn't pass one of those quality controls, we break it. It's, it. We don't even, there's no seconds. We are insane. And then this cool thing is that after that, any other person down the, down the chain after the cigar is made, anybody, it doesn't matter who it is, they have the authority to reject a cigar. If something is they see is bad, they have the authority to t- take it out of, the, out of the line and break it and throw it away. Really? It, it's Yes. That is fantastic. Well, and that gives that that sort of gives. Um, I love it. It gives each person in the factory um, accountability, accountability, mm-hmm. and and it gives them sort of a vested interest. Absolutely. In, in this, you know, I'm I'm putting my hands on this product, and I'm contributing something along the journey of this product mm-hmm. becoming what it's going to be. And nobody wants to be the person along that journey of those steps along the journey. Nobody wants to be the person who caused that journey to end prematurely, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that, that gives the, that gives them kind of an ownership, you know, of the responsibility for that product. And that's a good thing. The other thing that is important is, yeah, you might have the best quality control in the world. You might have the best construction in the world. Your cigars might be great, great blended, but if you don't have the tobacco inventory uh, that supports these lines to be consistent, then you're, you have nothing because mm-hmm. if I make a cigar and you like it, but then one year down the line or two years down the line, heck, even 10 years down the line, it's not the same cigar, then it's not the cigar that you love. It's not a cigar that is loyal to you. So exactly. the ability to recreate the same blend and always be able to taste exactly the same flavors with changing crops over the year, with changing mm-hmm. tobaccos, that is one of the hardest things to do. And we can only achieve this by having a large amount of inventory. I mean, we have over 5 million pounds of tobacco in inventory over five years worth. And that is not something that is normal. And you could say almost any company in the world. No doubt. And, you know, for those who have smoked cigars for 10 plus years, uh, we'll be able to tell you that there were cigars that were once your favorites that you feel have changed. And that could be two things. It could be your palate has developed. And that has changed a little bit. But the other part is that I know for a fact that some cigars that are released today under the same name that they were 10 plus years ago have changed the blend or the, you know, a particular part of that blend is no longer available. And they've tried to uh, replace that with something and it's just not the same, you know. So you're absolutely right. The consistency over time and, and tested 
there's a reason why this is such a great and premium product. I mean, this cigar has been around for 27 years. Yeah. And uh, it's, we always run into people. It's like, I've been having this cigar for 10 years. I've been having this cigar for 20 years. Special R, any number three, the iconic ones, all the cigars with the white bands. And they're like, I can't believe it. I don't know. You're a magician. How do you do it? And really, one of the key answers, the magic is in the inventory, having yeah. a lot of tobacco to back it up. Well, and so one question that I had written down, and it kind of leads into this, is when it comes to inventory, that all starts on the farm. Mm. It all starts, you know, out there in the fields. And I, I, I wasn't there myself, but I've heard from people who have been there. And they've seen all the the absolute minute little attentions to detail that that you guys put into the the plants before they're even primed and before the leaves are even hung in the curing barn. So talk about how because you know when it comes to quality control, most people think about the factory. They think about rolling the leaves and producing the cigars, but Talk about how quality control plays a part in the field. Yes. Um, Davidoff is uh, it's not unique in this case, but we have the privilege that we are a vertically integrated company. So that means we control everything from seed creation to greenhouses, the farms, then all the processes, factory distribution, and we even own stores. So we are a company that have every step of the way and we are part of everything. Uh, I think the first part of the farm starts at the seed. So in our company, we have Manuel Peralta, who is like our chief master agronomist. I call him the mad scientist for many reasons, but he creates seeds and every seed that he creates is for a particular flavor or for a particular resistance to the seeds or to generate more yield. And that is part of it because all of our tobacco is ours. Nobody can steal it. These seeds don't even create seeds. They're male sterile. It's mm. like crossing a donkey with a horse that you get a mule. Yep. The mule yep. can't produce. So our tobacco, in essence, is like a mule. And nobody can steal our tobacco. And that guarantees consistency and flavor and that we're always using the right seeds and that they haven't been genetically uh, altered in any other way. Uh, because if you take the seed from the son of a plant, then there will be a different seed. I am the son of my father, and I'm not genetically the same as he is. Yeah, that all starts. Yeah, and sorry, Chad. I promise. Chad had literally, as I was asking that question, Chad basically asked the same question. I swear, Chad, I did not steal your question. <laughs> <laughs> great, great minds think alike. <laughs> the other thing is uh, Davidoff, as as a company, we uh, finance everything for the farmers. We have about 70 farmers and we take on the responsibility to finance everything. We give them the plants, we give them the fertilizers, any other products they might need. Uh, we give them also the infrastructure, including the curing barn. So they have the infrastructure that they want, that they need. And then we also give them the technical advice. We have agronomers that visit every farm every two, three days, depending on what it's needed. And they are under contract. So the farmers have to do what we tell them to do uh, because obviously they know that if they follow our, our criteria, they're going to have a great year, but it's part of 
being consistent and be, being always the same with treating every tobacco and every farm exactly the same way so that the tobacco one year doesn't change or is different from one year to the next. And they benefit a lot from that because they get a better crop, so they make more money. And then we benefit from that because we get the tobacco that we wanted and there is no possibility of it being something else. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so to kind of continue in the, in the same topic here um, in the pre-show, we, you know, we were chatting a little bit and um, we were asking Klaus about, you know, this season has been a bit drier and he had, you know, he said, well, we can really bring some science into this. And then I was excited uh, when, when I said that. So, if uh, if you guys are cigar nerds, uh, put your hat on because we're about to go to school. Um, Klaus, if you could tell us a little bit about what a dry season means. Yeah, there, there you, you go. go. Professor. The professor is <laughs> the in. professor is in. Uh, if you could take us through a little bit about what a dry season is, maybe what a wet season is, and what we're looking at. Uh, the Cigar Dojo guys coined the term class is in session. Yeah. Yes. I can't feel that from them. I love it. I love that. Um, Well, when it comes to uh, an average year of rain in the Dominican Republic, and I'm talking in the valley of El Cibao, your general growing regions, the typical growing regions, uh, we have 14 regions as a company that we control there. And uh, every region has different amounts of rain. The more east you go in the valley the more rain there is the more west you go the less rain there is so when there is less rain there's more sun there's more photosynthesis synthesis of the nutrients and you get a thicker more heavier leaf in general and when there's more rain there's more cloud coverage uh, and so there's less sun less photosynthesis but then there's also um, rain that is washing away the nutrients in the soil and when the nutrients are washed away, depending on how much filtration there is on the soil, how thick the grain of sand is, then the roots don't have the capacity to absorb as many nutrients, so the leaf ends up being lighter. So uh, in really easy terms, a rainier year produces lighter tobacco that you have to take into account for your blends, and a sunnier year produces, uh, or drier year produces uh, stronger tobacco. I actually like dry years because we also have irrigation systems installed into many of these farms. So we have wells, wells that have water with pumps that irrigate the, the, the farm. And then when it comes to the curing process, we can control it better because it's always exactly the same outside. There's no rain that is changing the humidity levels in, in the curing barns. So I am a, I'm pro drier years. But you still want your good amount of rain so that your tobacco uh, grows properly. Uh, we're talking about a um, thousand one hundred millimeters of rain of average rainfall in a year in your normal growing region. Uh, if you guys know about Yamasa, which is your uh, Yamasa farm that is the part of the Yamasa Flegar that Davroff makes, that farm is completely outside of the normal growing regions, and there it rains over 2,000 millimeters of rain mm. every single year. Uh, but it drains a lot because the grain of sand is so thick. So the rain doesn't settle on the ground, and it just rains a lot. There's a lot of cloud coverage, so it's great for growing wrapper. If you might notice that there's a lot of farms, for example, Ecuador or regions around the world that grow wrapper, 
that is really good when you have the great cloud coverage because it produces like a, a sheet cloth effect and reduces the amount of sunlight. Uh, we have in Ecuador over 300 days of cloud coverage, which is great for producing uh, wrapper, very thin, uh, sleek wrappers. Yeah. And uh, for those who are uh, metric challenged, that is 40 inches and 80 inches, respectively. Yeah. Those 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 rainfall amounts are extreme mm-hmm. for those of us who live, especially for us up here in the Midwest. Those 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 rainfall amounts are extreme. Yep. So this year was a very good year. I would say it was a very average. It wasn't very very dry. Um, now the last month has been very dry, but we're already outside of the um, growing region. So you normally want a decent amount of rainfall at the beginning so that the tobacco grows. But you also don't want it too much because when the tobacco is very, very small, then if it floods your farm, you can kill the plant. Mm. So you don't want too much. You don't want too little. You just need yeah. just the right amount. So you already brought them up, uh, and I'm glad you did because I had it I had it written on my list of questions. But you talked a little bit about uh, Manuel and, you know, his being the mad scientist. But I, I just, being a a cigar nerd and, and really digging the, the science end of it, you know, as far as just what really, what makes up these, these leaves that go into these cigars that we love so much. Um, what is it that's, I mean, how does that process work as far as with him? Do you, do you go to him and say, we're looking for a particular kind of a flavor profile or does he come to you and say, I think I have this new, developed thing that I I think I've just got it dialed in perfectly now and I want you guys to try it. How does that process work? To create a seed, um, a male sterile seed, right? So a a tobacco plant that cannot reproduce. Uh, It takes in normal circumstances, if you only have one crop a year, it would take you eight crops. So it would take you eight crossings yeah, to produce a tobacco that you're looking for with the flavors you're looking for. And it would take you eight years in greenhouses. You can make it in about half the time. So you can do a new seed in four years. What we normally are doing is that we're creating a ton of new seeds and a ton of crossings at all times. And then we test them out on the farm. So we'll take a little patch of land where we'll try on one lane, one type of seed. We'll try on another lane or every two lanes, we'll try a different type of seed and we'll see how that seed develops. And it's a lot of trial and error. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of it is trial and error. It's it, and a lot of patience because yes, you might have an idea, but if you tried it in one farm and it wasn't great for that farm, then you gotta go and try it in a different farm. And it will take a lot of time to find what you're really looking for. We have famous seeds, for example, as 151. That was the seed that we created for the Millennium uh, line. So that's the wrapper of Millennium line. We have the famous seed called 702, which is for the 702 series, which is a beautiful wrapper. The Royal Salomones uses a seed that we've only used for that one. It's called Aromatica. It's so aromatic that is Aromatica Dominicana, it's fantastic seed. But when I say these numbers, 151, 133, 254, these are the amount of seeds that we've created. And every, every, that number means the 254th seed that we've created, the 702nd seed that we've created. 
Yeah. Then we choose them according to the farms and where it acts better. So it's a lot of trial and error. If you go to Mano Peralta's house, um, last time I went, he had four refrigerators. And one of them was for food and the other three were for seeds. Wow. So you, you can understand. Yeah. Even, in our, even in our company, we have under lock refrigerators with seeds. We have our vaults of seeds that yeah. are ours. And it's just it's crazy how much work and how much time it takes to create something. So we're always thinking many, many years ahead. Yeah. We're never stopping with innovation. Yeah. Uh, another viewer question here. Valerie asks, in the regions where it's irrigated, how is the amount of water regulated so you don't get too much or too little? That depends on your investment. Uh, <laughs> Valerie is a, is a good friend. So hello, Valerie. Um, um, it depends on your investment because normally uh, you can you can just use flooding, right? Or you can do it by aspersion. Uh, but uh, some people just pump it up to the top of the of the of the farm. Most farms are in in really good cases. Most farms are not flat. Most farms are in a little incline, so you can pump all the water up here, and the water will just slowly start going down. You yeah. just open up the channels and let the water just flow down. And then you just regulate it. Once the whole, once the whole farm has been flooded, then you stop it. But in, when you have really high investment, and you're, for example, you do uh, drop irrigation by drops, so you have uh, una manguera, a hose, a hose that goes through every single lane, and there's little holes that do drops of irrigation where the, exactly the plant is. So you can regulate how much water every plant gets. So it really depends highly on the amount of investment that you put. And the more investment you put, well, if you're putting a lot of investment, you're probably growing wrapper because wrapper is more expensive. Yeah. yeah. And is uh, are you constantly like uh, testing the soil? And, um, and, and when you're doing that, what are you looking for? We uh, do soil samples, about four to five soil samples per farm in different areas on a yearly basis. And before we actually start the new the new crop, and what we are looking for is, I mean, we're looking for all the components: how many nitrogenous elements are inside, how much calcium, how much phosphorus, uh, all these little things. Mm-hmm. And then we see how much it's been depleted every single year, and then we do a formula of fertilizers according to the depletion to get it back up to standard. The other thing that we can do, depending on the farm if the farm is big enough is that you can do crop rotation or you can leave parts mm-hmm. of the farm to rest. So if your farm is big enough, you'll have part of the farm not growing anything for two years, sometimes three years, which is not very normal in Dominican Republic because there's a lot of farmers that have very small patches of land, but with farms such as uh, Yamasa, that's a huge farm. There we do a lot of crop rotation. There we do a lot of soil resting to let it just naturally come back up without having to insert fertilizers. Yeah. Um, Chad's got a good question that leads to the, you know, this after the plants are grown and the primings are taken off, the leaves go into the curing barn. So he wants to know how they're set up for controlling temperature and humidity uh, in those barns. That also depends on your investment. Okay. Uh, if, um, if you are growing filler, normally the investment is not high and 
that means that you are probably doing it very traditional. The farm, the, the curing barns that we have are typical Cuban style curing barns. The typical Dominican curing barn is open on all sides. It just has a roof. That's the lowest investment that you can have. Normally costs you about $1,500, $2,000 to make one. That's that little. But when you make a nice curing barn, everything closed with the proper doors, the proper windows. I mean, you're talking about 10 times the investment. And uh, with these, the traditional way is if it's very humid outside, right, and you have to bring down the humidity inside, what you'll do is you'll basically either open up the doors to let the humidity come out. Or another great way is very traditional way is you, you just put charcoal on the bottom and you basically you don't light up a fire, but you heat up the, the, the curing barn from inside. Hmm. When it comes to higher investment, for example, in our wrapper farm for Yamasa, we actually have panels uh, of panels all spread out to the floor of the curing barn. And these gas panels, you can bring up the temperature and basically reduce the humidity. Or you can even pour water on the panels. And when you evaporate the, the water, it increases the humidity inside. So there's different ways to regulate it uh, more perfectly. Of course, you have uh, your hygrometer, hygrometers and everything inside, checking your humidity levels and your temperatures uh, throughout the whole curing barn. So it really depends on how much investment you want to do. For wrapper, I would suggest that kind of investment because if you're investing that much and your yield is not 50% wrapper, your yield is only 30% wrapper, then you might not be making money and your farm might be a bust. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I had on my list of questions that I'm curious about because you know, like we like we said, going back to my first cigar, you know, the, back in 1996, and then, you know, the 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 core line with the Davidoff white label and and Anniversario and 702, that. But then you move into the more modern age within the last few years, things like Davidoff Nicaragua, Escorio, uh, Yamasa. So with all those new lines that that you guys have have brought into the marketplace and have have really um i'd say for for a lot of davidoff smokers seeing some of those new lines on the market and maybe they were cigars that were a little bit outside of their wheelhouse uh but it maybe opened the eyes of some some traditional davidoff smokers to some new flavor profiles and some new tastes um what has what has been the biggest change you've seen and based on seeing those changes in the marketplace or the tastes of consumers that you've really tried to to put into your products so that you can have something for people with all different palates um i see your point where you're saying for the traditional uh aficionado they are they're they're receiving new types of flavors but also look at it the other way there's a lot of people that did not want to try a davidoff because they had maybe misconceptions or they didn't like the taste profile of davidoff one of the big things that we would always get was hey davidoff is only dominican all the tobaccos inside are dominican except for the wrapper but everything is just dominican dominican is not my flavor profile and what we have done is that we have uh 
you know, opened up to the rest of the world by providing new flavors and new aromas so that more people can discover what Davaro has to offer. And it's really funny to see somebody that's would I've run into this a couple of times. People that were like, I have I've never enjoyed an any number three. I didn't like it or anything. And then they were introduced into Davaro Nicaragua. And they got into Davidoff because of that. And now they are enjoying Annie number three because they now appreciate it for what it is. All yeah. these new flavor profiles that we have been providing, including Brazilian tobacco with Davidoff Escurio, Davidoff Nicaragua, your Nicaraguan tobaccos, with the Winston Churchill. That one has tobacco from Mexico, uh, Nicaragua, Dominican Republic, and Ecuador, all in one cigar, seven types of tobacco. Basically, it's bringing new people into the world of Davidoff, and then it's providing these flavor profiles in a very refined way. And, you know, this is the Davidoff style, the Davidoff style of quality control and consistency with very refined, nuanced flavors. And it's, it's really opened ourselves up to so many new markets, uh, not only just in the United States, but around all the world. Because yeah. remember that around the world, we're not just competing against Nicaragua and Honduras, but we're also competing against Cubans. Right. And that is the biggest market. Uh, I mean, when you go to Asia, when you go to Europe, Latin America, it's all Cuban. And we have been able to, you know, go into those markets very effectively with these new flavor profiles that even some of them are reminiscent of Cuban tastes. Mm-hmm. Um Real quick before I go on to a couple of viewer things here, what um, what is the relationship like with other Dominican companies? Your Fuentes, your Ashton, LFD. Um, is there any kind of a brotherhood there, or are you really kind of in your own doing your own thing? We we fight together as an industry and as a country. Um, back in the in. In the boom time, 1994, my father created the organization called Pro Cigar. So him and a couple other members created the organization called Pro Cigar. I actually have a cutter that was given off, given away. So you can see Pro Cigar Festival. And the Pro Cigar Festival is not just a festival where everybody parties and discovers farms and factories because we open up to consumers. But it's also an organization that together we fight for the rights of the tobacco, the rights of cigars, and we go around the world promoting Dominican Republic as cigar country. So I actually grew up with the kids of many of these manufacturers. When it comes to uh, me personally, I I love them all. They're all great friends. From time to time, we'll have lunch or we'll run into each other at dinners or at restaurants. And it's very funny to see how when we go out into the market, with the salespeople, with the marketing teams. There's always competition, competition, fighting for shelf space in the stores. But when we are in Dominican Republic, we're all buddy buddies. Uh, I've always laughed at this kind of relationship because I'll go out and I'll do an event and maybe the rep of another company is there. And it's like, oh, I should not be here because this is a Davidoff event. I'm like, no, please stay here. Like, I'm friends with your boss. Like, <laughs> I don't care if you're here or not. Like, please stay, enjoy a cigar with us because I want to get to know you. And yeah. you know, we're all friends. We're all some sort of big family because yeah. the cigar industry is so small and we are fighting against so many strong regulations that if we're not together, then we're not going to go anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm going to ask this question. <laughs> um, basically, can you take us through uh, small batch number three and um, what, what that cigar is uh, comprised of? We've, we've got somebody who is really curious about what makes that cigar. I do not have an answer for you. Okay. I, wish, I wish you guys would have told me ahead of time because, well, the question was asked, but um, sm the, the small batch program, there's so many of them. And then we also have the master selection program that on the top of my head, I do not know the blends of each one. And I, it's very hard for me to keep track of them. They're all great cigars. It's all great program. They're all a little bit different, but it's very, very hard to keep track of each one. And I'm yeah. sorry for that, but I'll promise I'll get back to you on that. So I'll, I'll look into it and I'll definitely get back to you so you can reach out to him. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, so give us, uh, I, I know that you, you've done really in the past, either at your, at your factory tours and your events and, and on some other shows, you've done some really intricately in-depth things about tasting notes and how and different areas of your palate that taste different things so and i know it's 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 a little bit tough to to uh sort of condense it into a cliff notes sort of a version but um can you just give give our viewers and our listeners the basics of where they're going to taste certain things on their palates and how that's you know how they're going to find different kinds of things in in a, a davidoff cigar from from a flavor and aroma perspective when we talk about blending in our company, we are very, very um, focused on total full palate stimulation. That is something we believe in. We believe in every area of your palate being stimulated one way or another. So we focus heavily on the tongue and on our taste buds here. And then uh, and a, at a second step, then we start focusing on the nose because from the nose, you get aroma from the tongue, you get taste but then the combination of both of them, it's flavor. You can't have flavor if you're not using both of them. But when we're analyzing a blend, we love to analyze the palate because in the nose, we have over 2 million receptors that send a lot of information to our brain. And a lot of these nuances that you're getting in the nose are very tied down to your memories. Uh, so it's very hard for everybody to agree on something especially if you've if you have smelled something before or maybe somebody else has not smelled that that's very hard for people to agree on but in the palate we in the tongue we have uh, four types of four types of taste buds and not 2 million but we have about 10,000 taste buds if you're an average uh, taster super tasters have like 20,000 25,000 taste buds and you can do a test for that i'm supposed to be a super taster my father's supposed to be one as well but you can count how many taste buds you have on your tongue. And you have the sweet taste buds in the tip of the tongue. You have the salty in the lateral front. You have the acid taste buds in the lateral back. And you have the bitter taste buds towards the back. In the center of your palate, you have a combination of all these taste buds. And is what some people would call savory or umami. So when you move around the smoke in your palate, focus on which areas of your palate are being stimulated. I'm not talking about taste or, or flavors. I'm talking about where it's impacting, so where are the stimulations. So if you feel your lips being stimulated or your, the tip of your tongue being stimulated, then that cigar has a lot of sweetness. If you feel a lot in the back, then that cigar has a lot of bitterness. 
If you feel a lot on the sides and there's a lot of saliva being created, that, that's your acidic uh, taste area being stimulated where you have salivary glands and then saliva is being produced. So a cigar that maybe is not balanced and is not fully stimulating your palate, uh, a lot of cigars, for example, lack the acidity. And that that's will produce a cigar that dries your palate. Maybe a lot of the viewers yourself have had a cigar that dries your palate and then you need to drink something or you, you're doing like, you know, yeah. you're forcing it. So that's a cigar that is not balanced. And you want a cigar that's hitting everywhere. When we're talking about now flavors and uh, you could say, let's say, let's say words like woody or earthy or honey or fruits, uh, floral, uh, then you're talking about areas of your palate that remind you of something. So, for example, when people say honey, it reminds you of sweet. So that means it's probably stimulating you in the front. If I read a description and, and somebody says, oh, it has wooden characteristics, that is in the back of your palate. So I know it has a lot of bitterness. If somebody says, oh, it's like a lemon or an orange, I know it has a lot of acidic stimulation. And that's how I dissect the description of, for example, a reviewer or a blogger. And that's how I read those things. Mm. Like, oh, it's probably using this tobacco or it's probably using this tobacco. In Davidoff, especially for white label, we have three basic tobaccos, and I call them basic, but they are like, like the three staples of Davidoff. You have Olor, which is sweet and salty. You have San Vicente, which is acidic and also a little sweet. And then you have Piloto, that is sweet and bitter. And by combining these three tobaccos, you're able to hit every single area of your palate. And if you only make a cigar of only Piloto, for example, it will be very bitter and your, your palate will dry. So that's why blends exist. You need tobaccos to stimulate in every area of your palate, and that creates balance, and then that also creates complexity. Okay. And that's the cliff notes. No, I like I, that. I like I that. I love this. And, uh, you know, as you're talking and I'm drawing on the cigar, the uh, you know, and I'm trying to concentrate on what area, because I've never gone through it the way that you're explaining it. And I... Um, and I love it because I can now, I was even before this, I was going to say, this is a very sweet cigar. Um, yes. But now even more so I can say it is definitely hitting me in the sweet spots. Um, and also on the side of my tongue. It's also hitting you in the back, but yeah. it's not yep. overpowering. And, right. and, and you never want a cigar to overpower you or to tire you. And you will notice um, especially the more you smoke it, that there's going to be slight pockets of saliva being created on the side. And that's what creates moisture and creates what some people describe as creamy. You cannot, you will never be able to describe a cigar creamy if your, if your palate is dry. Yeah. So when people describe cigars creamy, then you know there's some sort of moisture in your palate that keeps the flavors rolling and your taste buds being active. Because yeah. if there is no moisture, then the intensity keeps getting higher. Your taste buds are dry and the intensity is hitting directly. Uh, the smoke is hitting directly in your taste buds and they're being stimulated overly. It's too much. Yeah. Well, and, and the, the, the combination too of, you know, the, the sweetness, but also just little hints of, of dryness and bitterness. But then what typically you'll get with some other blends um, other other cigars, when you when you get a lot of sweetness, typically 
you tend to, at least in my experience, uh, if whatever I get on the palate, I also tend to get mostly similar through the nose. Mm -hmm. But this one has a nice contrast where there's still there's still a little bit of sweetness in the nose, but there's also a little bit of little hints of spice. Mm. You know, so, sort of uh, not I'm not going to call it bite. It's not harsh, but it's just a little hint of a pop that through the nose you know, on the retrohale that uh, really contrasts the sweetness uh, very nicely. Yeah, the two retro around a little. Excuse me. Uh, when I retro this, I get uh, a lot of coffee uh, type flavors. The two yeah. terms that get thrown around a lot for the nose are spicy or pepper. And yep. this one would not fall under pepper. This right. one would be more right. like a floral spice. Yeah. It's, it's very light. It's very herbal. And it, yeah. it's, it's not aggressive at all. Yeah. Um, I think we had... Um, yes, from Paul. Uh, yeah. He said, if you only had one Davidoff cigar to try and convince someone to become a fan of your brand, what one would you choose? Ooh. I, the first question is I would try to figure out what kind of uh, aficionado he is, what cigars he really smoke. Yeah. Because Davidoff has so many offerings and so many different types of flavors mm -hmm. that I would first try to narrow it down to what he likes. And then from his answer, then I would suggest something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you want your typical Davidoff profile, right? If, if I don't know anything about this person, and I'm saying, okay, you want go to go for a staple, and I know that this person uh, enjoys cigars on a regular, then I would probably point them in the direction of the cigar that we're enjoying, yep. the Annie number three, because this is right in the middle uh, of Davidoff philosophy. It is, I would say, a little bit more than medium bodied, a little higher. And if, if they are a regular uh, cigar aficionado that are not looking for something too soft that will bore them, then I'll point them in that direction. If they are somebody that is new to the cigar world, I will point them in the direction of this cigar. I should have it right here, the Signature 2000. This is probably the most sold cigar. It actually, it is the most sold cigar for Davidoff in the world. Um, we sometimes, some years, we get to a million of them being produced. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was, it's interesting because when you look at the sales numbers of most companies, most companies, their uh, higher sellers, their best sellers are uh, the smoother cigars. Uh, most people are not cigar aficionados that enjoy cigars on a daily basis. They only enjoy a cigar from time to time to relax, to enjoy. So they normally go for the smaller, uh, the smoother cigars. And yeah. this is the biggest part of the industry. The people that enjoy the very powerful cigars are the minimum of the industry. Yeah. Um, so for for you, for your personal palate, for for the the cigar that you love, if you were forced to choose uh, a desert island cigar from Davidoff, that that if you were stranded and you only had a choice to have twenty boxes of which, what is your blend that you would want to be stuck with? First of all, I would need a lot more than twenty boxes. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would need a lifetime supply. Yeah. Uh, I actually noticed that I'm going through about um, 100 cigars in a month now that I'm stuck in quarantine by myself. So that's an average of a three, three something cigars. So I, I need a big stash. <laughs> um, but uh, I would 
the cigar I enjoy the most right now is uh, Yamasa, and a close second is Late Hour. There you Those go. Are the cigars I'm enjoying the most. Mm-hmm. But, but if I'm on a desert island, if I'm on an island or I'm in the desert in the middle of nowhere and it's very hot, those cigars might be a little strong for that scenario. So I might go for something a little smoother. Yeah. Uh, in the mornings, you know, maybe it's a little strong to start the, your day. But I, I think it would be Yamasa. And what, Yamasa, I'm, maybe it's a little biased, but it is, I think it hits everything. It's probably the, one of the most complex cigars we have on our regular lineup. And what's, what's your favorite Vitola in the Yamasa? Because my my particular favorite is the short, the the little guy. I, I was going to tell you that one too. Yeah, that's my. I, I I enjoy them all, but that there's just I think that blend is really awesome in that small vitola. Do you call that a petite Corona? Uh, no, that one I think is called. Uh, ooh, I think that one's called a petite Churchill. I got okay. I got to double check. Um, it's um. I have to double check the name of it, but, um, or petite Corona. I got to double check the name of it right now. I'm losing it. But, um, what I love about that cigar, first of all, it's a little too small, sadly, because I wish that flavor wasn't in a bigger cigar, Yeah. but it's because the ring gauge is so small. Uh, the Yamasa tobacco and the Yamasa cigar is the binder and the wrapper. So because the ring gauge is smaller, you're getting more of that Yamasa tobacco in the flavors. And it acts beautifully in small ring gauges. Yamasa Farm, very beautiful in, in very small ring gauges. And uh, for me, the when the late hour came out, that was, you know, I think it brought a lot of people back to Davidoff. And um, at least in the circles that I that I travel. And it was a it was just a fantastic cigar great price point and um a lot of great flavor yeah uh can you tell us a little bit about what that um project looked like and um yeah excuse me which project the uh late hour late hour uh the late hour uh, again close second the late hour has seven tobaccos in it like the yamasa but it uses more countries so we have uh, more types of flavors in there. It has your uh, very dark uh, Habano Ecuadorian wrapper. It has a Mexican binder, Negro San Andres. has two tobaccos from Nicaragua and three tobaccos from Dominican Republic. However, one of the reasons why it shines and people love it so much is because the Condega tobacco from Nicaragua is aged in a whiskey barrel for six months. So there was a lot of trial and error, a lot of experimenting. We first started doing barrel aging with the Camacho brand, with uh, the American barrel aged. And once we got the barrel aging down to a science, we knew how, to, how it would work. Then we moved it on to the Davidoff brand and we did the late hour. And that barrel, what it does is that not only does it grab the aromas from the wood, but it also grabs the aromas from what the leftover whiskey was inside. So it, it increases the sweetness, increases the intensity from the wooden flavors, and there's also an increase in spiciness. So it, it, it hits the front, it hits the middle, and it hits the back of your palate just because of that barrel. Yeah. So let's uh, let's shift gears just a little bit. We're going to go into uh, we're going to go into this week's smokabulary word. And as always, guys, smokabulary is brought to you by AJ Fernandez. 
Born and raised in Cuba, A.J. Fernandez now produces unparalleled premium cigars in Esteli, Nicaragua. The day-to-day operations at Tabacalera A.J. Fernandez are managed under the watchful eye of Mr. A.J. Fernandez himself in order to ensure superior quality. The A.J. Fernandez portfolio of premium cigars provides blend strength and flavor profiles to match the preferences of any premium cigar consumer. Whether it's New World, Dias de Gloria, San Lutano, Enclave, or Bayas Artes, you are sure to be satisfied with a premium cigar from A.J. Fernandez. So, guys, this week's smokabulary word is canoe. <laughs> so, Klaus, when I, in, in terms of cigars, when I say the word canoe, what comes to mind? Bad construction. Yes, or a lot of wind. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there you go. Yep. It, and it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things that happens sometimes. It could be a cigar that was not constructed properly. It could be a cigar that you uh, that you uh, didn't store properly and, and was far too humidified in your humidor at home uh, just on one side. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things that you, you know, they're in the end, they're handmade products. And, uh, you know, sometimes things happen, but, uh, you know, for the most part, just, you know, if you start to notice that it's burning unevenly, guess what you can do? You can pick up your lighter and you can fix it. Most of the time you can. And, you know, there's a, there's another factor too, is, uh, um, how the cigar was kept. So if you don't have a, a good humidor or, um, you're not keeping your cigars well, one side of the cigar could be getting more humidity than the other, and that can cause your cigar to to uh, canoe as well. You know, sometimes it, it's also because of the wrapper or the binder they used. Because if they use a very oily wrapper, this is not an oily wrapper, your Connecticut Ecuadorian. But if they use a very oily wrapper, sometimes the wrapper, it's nature, it's part of the, it's, um, it's natural product. But sometimes the wrapper has more oils on one side than on the other. Yeah. So it's going to burn quicker to the side that has less oils. And like exactly like you said, I mean, these are handmade products, and it would be a shame if you just kept puffing at it and just didn't enjoy the full experience. That means part of the cigar is not being combusted, and the oils are not being distilled. Mm-hmm. And so you're not getting all the aromas that you could be getting, so you're not going to get the full experience. So always help your cigar if possible. Yeah, I, I always laugh a little bit at people that just – they keep going. They keep going, and I'm like, "Come on!" I mean, they're like, "Well, that's it's the it's the cigar's fault or it's whatever's fault." I'm like, "Yes, but help the cigar. Yeah. Why waste a great, a perfect cigar just because of that?" And I'll tell you a trick to know if it was construction or not. Okay. The, yeah, the first time you ash a cigar, the first time after you have ashed it a couple times and you've played with it a little bit, it won't be as apparent. So here, this is not an example anymore. But the first time you ash a cigar, if you see a nice little pyramid shape and it's in the center, the, the pyramid is not off to a side, then that means the cigar was properly constructed. All the thick tobaccos were put in the center. All the lighter tobaccos were put on the outside. So it will burn as even as possible. If you, if you see the, the pyramid shape shifted over to a side, you might experience a little bit of canoeing. Because that's all the thick tobaccos being off to a side, and they're not burning at the same rate as the other side. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, very good point. Um, so let's move into this week's 
Snubaro. De los Muertos. Garrett's losing it. Seriously, lockdown has caused Garrett's brain to melt because oh. he just totally forgot the name of his own segment. Let's try that again. Let's try Numero de los Muertos. All right, guys. Numero de los Muertos this week is brought to you by Oveja Negra Brands. They bring you premium smoking experiences forged from tobacco, time, and talent. Comprised of Black Label Trading Company, Black Work Studio, Dissonant, and Omilio. Oveja Negra Brands provide smokers uncompromising blends renowned for their flavor and lasting impression. Oveja Negra, where art and tobacco collide. Join the flock. Visit ovejanegracigars.com to learn more. All right. So uh, this week's number is currently 20. And this is uh, a number that is uh, annual in the U.S., uh, well, 22 people on average die every year from this in the U.S. Um, but in 1970, the average was 45. Okay, for so for some reason in 1970 it was twice as high. Correct. But otherwise, on average, it's 20. That's a really that, low number. It is 22 per year in the United States die from this mm-hmm. on average. Yep. And as a as a little as a little hint. Uh, this has been a semi-popular guess throughout this whole process. Okay. All so right. this is a popular guess that people have guessed, and I, I finally uh, decided to, to sneak it in. We'll see. Okay. And so, so class, jump in with guesses. Our viewers, jump in with guesses. Um, uh, I, I gotta, I'm going to like play 20 questions here. Yeah, is do it. it. Uh, is it caused by any kind of disease? Mm-mm. It's not a disease. You know what I found out? Uh, I was doing a seminar with champagne, and somebody, I was opening up the bottle of champagne, and, and I popped it, and the first reaction from that person was, you know 80 people in the world die from this every single year by getting killed by a cork? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but that's the whole world, so I don't know. It could be a, a good guess for just the United States. Yeah, no, cork. It's not a champagne cork, but that's a good guess. <laughs> it is not. Uh, it is not snake bites. It is not falling off a ladder. Um, I'm going to continue to give guesses or give uh, little hints here. The uh, next hint is: this is an activity. It's an activity. Is it like a sports activity? I wouldn't know. No, not a sports activity. Mm-hmm. Um, run over by a lawnmower. I don't know. We did that already. Yeah, we did that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was a good guess. <laughs> Is it? Uh, does it involve operating heavy machinery? It does not. No. Does it usually happen in the home? It does not. It is not twister. <laughs> not twister. Uh, Chad is getting closer. Okay. And Chad's guess was hang gliding. Skydiving. It is skydiving. It's skydiving? Skydiving. Klaus nails it. So 22 people a year in the U.S. Why why the big jump in 1970? um, So I looked into that, and the way that the packs, the the shoots are packed today greatly differs from what they were doing 40, 50 years ago in packs. And so the... uh, um, the mechanical um, 
issues yeah. that were happening are happening very, very um, at a much lower rate today. But uh, mechanical failures are 80% of um, skydiving deaths and accidents. The other 20% are going to be um, landing too hard. Okay. All right. Our CEO, Beat, Beat Davorov CEO, he loved skydiving. He had hundreds and hundreds of jumps. And uh, he had a little incident where it could have gone wrong and ever yeah. since he stopped. But he, he was going for like a record. He was he was a big aficionado for skydiving. Wow. Well, and all, all told, 22 people a year in the U.S., that's an extremely low number. So yeah. in general, I mean, skydiving, uh, yes, is skydiving high risk compared to most other things? Sure. But I, it's still one of those things on my bucket list, I have to admit. Well, and, you know, statistically speaking, it's uh, much more plausible that you die on your way to the gas station in a car than you would from skydiving. Yeah. When I went skydiving, I've only done it once. And, of course, it was attached to somebody. Yep. Yeah. Damn it. Uh, I, I, made, I made sure I didn't tell my family. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, t- I, I called them uh, right after. You know, I'm safe, sound. I, because I know if I would have told them right beforehand, uh, that my mother would have been freaking out those yeah. 30 minutes I'm up there, you know, and are preparing and all that stuff. And it was so funny because – the next call I got was from my sister. And my sister's like, are you serious? You didn't tell our parents. He, did, he never let me because I kept asking for him. It's like, well, I was smarter. I didn't let him know. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, a, that's a good idea. Yeah, don't, so don't tell them. That's this week's Numero de los Muertos. So, all right, class, here's some fun questions for you, starting with this one. If you could choose to hear the thoughts of one living person for 10 minutes, who would it be and why? Sometimes I would have said my dad, but now my dad tells me a lot. But it would be very interesting to see how he thinks because my dad thinks in very, very different ways. Um, does it can it be a does it have to be a famous person? Or? It could be anybody, any, anybody, any living person. If you could hear what they're thinking for 10 minutes. I don't know. I got to go back to that. I got to think. That's that's a lot of power. Ten minutes, isn't it? Yeah. It would be. It would be very, very interesting to go into a very a high high end official, somebody that's like in the U- UN or something, yep. see all the information that they know that we, the public, are not known. So yeah. probably somebody like I don't know, just running the UN or something like that. Yeah. I, I, I can like barely it. keep track of my own thoughts for 10 minutes. <laughs> so that's... Uh, wait, what did you say? What, wait, what? What? <laughs> All right. So, Klaus, if you were about to get into a fight, what soundtrack music would come on? I'm not a fighter. But it, <laughs> it would probably be some sort of reggaeton. I don't know. It, it would be like some Dominican thing. Yeah. I can't say I can't I can't answer a specific one, but it would be something very very Latino. Yeah, yeah. Latino songs definitely pump me up. Yeah. So choose one of the following, and I gotta bring this. I got it. You got it. Okay. Got so it. choose one of the following. You could hit a home run as a starting pitcher. You could score a touchdown as a defensive lineman, or you could score a goal in a hockey game as the goalie. Or you can 
score a, a porteria, a porteria as a goalkeeper? Uh, I, I would go for soccer. Soccer is my sport. If I could kick that far, yeah. I would love to be that person that, that scores on the other goalie. Just skip over all the other 20 players. Wouldn't that be amazing? And how how rare is I, as somebody I I don't I don't follow soccer as somebody who doesn't follow soccer. What how rare is it in the game to have that happen? It doesn't happen often, but it happens a lot. It happens from time to time at the end of the game. If they're pulling the goalkeeper for an extra yeah. player, yeah, when they're pulling the goalkeeper for the extra player, everybody's rushing in the defense. There's no defense, and then you just. They'll, somebody will kick it all the way up to the other side. And sometimes it's that goalkeeper too that does yeah. it. But it doesn't happen often. I mean, it has to be a very, very tight game, and they're really, really pushing to catch up and do the extra yeah. time. Mm-hmm. So if you could give one piece of advice to a brand-new premium cigar consumer, what would it be? Read. Join a, join a lot of podcasts, read a lot, uh, get educated. I, I mean, there are a lot of people can tell you, they can teach you, but there's nothing like actually getting self-educated. I think that's one of the things that this industry is lacking. Uh, education, education, education. And if everybody was more educated and everybody could understand this more, then we would be a happier world and we wouldn't have that many people uh, get against the cigar industry. Yeah, yeah, great point. So if you could give one piece of advice to a brick-and-mortar cigar retailer, what would that be? Pay attention to what your consumers like. Um, There's a lot of stores, a lot of owners that when they come to choosing cigars, of course they have to carry everything or a lot of the things, but – if they're not choosing cigars according to their consumer base, then it's, it's, it's no great. I, I always see people, we do exclusives, a lot of limited editions with, uh, with a lot of stores. And I always find it very, uh, very interesting how some people choose a cigar that they want for their exclusive, their limited edition for their store. Uh, and they choose it according to their likes and their tastes. And normally the most successful limited editions are the ones that they choose according to their consumer base. And when they choose it according to consumer base and their their regulars, then it's normally a hit in their store. Yeah, that's a very good point uh, because we always tend to choose things based on what we like, but we got to remember there's other people around. <laughs> Is there? Are there? It's all about I me. I thought it was just me. It's all about me. But you know, even from a blending perspective, like sometimes we get all cut up in blending cigars that we like, and it is a lot harder to create cigars for the other people and you really have to branch out and get out of the box, you know, get out of your comfort zone so that you can provide good blends for everybody because you are just one person and not everybody likes what you like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's move into uh, this week's notable smokables. Well, uh, real quick before oh, yeah, we do that, it. go for it. If I can just, so class, if I'm looking at a list of a bunch of people's names and I'm like, I want to find, you know, I want to find the German in this group. And I come across your name. I'm like, yeah, that's a German guy for sure. (laughs) Tell me about your name and the origin, because 
if I didn't know who you are and where you're from and what you do, I'd be like, this dude is making sausages somewhere outside of Frankfurt. Brewing beer. Yeah, brewing beer. <laughs> <laughs> well, my name, Klaas, uh, uh, has two A's. That's the Dutch version. So Klaus would be the German version. But um, I am third generation in the cigar industry. Um, we It all started with my grandfather and his three brothers. All They were from Amsterdam, and they all moved to Latin America. Two moved to the Dominican Republic, two moved to Brazil to start working in tobacco. And in my family, class Peter Kellner, I actually am the one that has my grandfather's name. So cool. I, I, there's a lot of Hendrix. I think there's eight of them. <laughs> but, <laughs> I'm the only one that has my grandfather's name, Klaus Peters. So I, I, a lot of pride with that name. And That's if you actually cool. look at the, at a lot of cigar companies, actually mainly tobacco companies, processing companies, almost every one of these big companies has a Dutch guy in there. The Dutch during really? the times, yeah, they they spread out to do commerce. The the Dutch were not colonizers to increase their empire they were colonizers to increase trade and and business so there's a lot of tobacco people that are from holland and we are very proud of that there's a lot of big dutch community in the cigar industry yeah you know and that's the interesting thing about uh the latino culture too is no matter what your heritage is or where you came from once you have really assimilated and you know a few generations you are latino you know that is, you know, where you're from, but you still have, you know, that Dutch pride and uh, but consider yourself a Latino. It's a it's a beautiful thing. In the World Cup, I still go for Holland. Dominican Republic never makes it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a long shot at best. <laughs> yeah, but we, I'm definitely Latino, but I still love my hajosla. I still love my my cheeses so that we still have a lot of dutch roots in our family we have never lost that and i still know a lot of the words and a lot of the phrases yeah which we said sadly but that's good that's good so uh this week's uh notable smokables um garrett why don't you start us off with something interesting you smoked this week elbow wednesday was um the one that i had last night was probably the tastiest I've had in a while. Just every once in a while, you know it's a good cigar, but you smoke it and and whatever, it just hits. And that cigar really hit for me yesterday. Nice. Uh, so, Klaus, we talked about this before we, we went live, and you, you've got some really you know cool stuff as far as notable smokables go. So hit us with one of them. Um, well, if you've been following me on Davidoff Cigars, I am doing a lot of little reviews. I'm covering all the lines. And yesterday I did the royal release, but if you want to tune in tomorrow for um, the the, sem- the little tasting I'm going to do tomorrow on Davidoff Cigars, I'm going to be doing this one. Oh, so Oro Blanco, which some people might know as the $500 cigar. It's so beautiful. I, I don't call it the $500 cigar. I call it the nine types of tobacco cigar. Yeah. <laughs> Could sell that box for like twenty grand. <laughs> oh my gosh it's so beautiful it's just so beautiful there it is there's the there's angels, the angels. <laughs> it's so beautiful i mean this this one is very very special i mean when we talk about the number of tobaccos that are in a cigar 
Normally this five, six, this one has nine and it's made by Eladio Diaz himself and mm-hmm. the top two rollers. So it's very, very special with tobaccos yeah. from one tobacco from the crop of 2001, 2002. Wow. So 19, 18 and 19 year old tobaccos. Yeah. Yeah. And where can people watch that? Uh, on the Instagram for Davidoff Cigars. I'll be going on live somewhere around the afternoon. I believe three o'clock Eastern time. Eastern. Okay. Nice. Uh, so my first uh, notable smokable uh, of this past week, uh, I fired up uh, one from Distant Cigars, and it's called Home, uh, the 2019 version of it. It's it's a beautiful barber pole box-pressed uh, cigar. Mm-hmm. And barber poles are interesting because you get some contrast with the not only the colors but the the uh the flavors and and uh it was a very nice cigar i actually got some very nice uh uh a lot of power a lot of power in that cigar but it's got good nuance too so i enjoyed it very much awesome and i had a my father le bijou 1922 robusto and i tried to think back and i'm not sure i had ever had the robusto I, okay. Because I'm such a Lancero whore that I'm typically smoking the Lanceros or, you know, but um, I had the Robusto and it's a totally different cigar. Yeah, it's a very different experience. And it was amazing. Yeah. Great cigar. Yeah. Um, so, class, there was something that you smoked yesterday mm-hmm. that you uh, that you uh, gave us a, a, a little bit of a, an idea of. So show us uh, the, the cigar that you enjoyed yesterday and that you're going to enjoy again soon. Yeah, this is the eight-type tobacco cigar. <laughs> <laughs> the Royal Salomon. Royal Salomon. This was released in 2016. Before that, we had another Royal Salomon that came with white bands. So they are different blends. The white band one is more your traditional Davroff blends, Dominican. Uh, this one has uh, tobaccos from the top of the plant. So it has a lot of visus, a lot of ligero, predominantly ligero. And you would imagine that having that much ligero would be very powerful. But because it's so long and it, the smoke comes in nice and cool, especially at the beginning, very sweet at the beginning, you're having that wrapper that is unique, is the Caparomatica from Dominican Republic. Very sweet. And then once you get to about halfway, it really kicks up. The peppers are coming in. The really oak wood starts coming in. It's yeah. It's very special, but this one is almost three-hour commitment. So yeah. you got to sit down and you got to relax. Uh, you can't just enjoy it on a whim. Yeah. Um, my my last one this week was uh, one that I actually got turned on to this brand by uh, Will Cooper, who has been talking about this brand for a few years, um, and it's the Cattle Baron Cigar. So these are uh, uh, Phil, Phil Zangy, actually, from Debonair House. Phil Zangi actually plays a big role in in putting this brand together, uh, and it's a, it's a it's a simple you know uh, uh, habano blend, but it's it's very tasty. It the construction was spot on. It was very well made, uh, had very nice flavors, uh, and I I smoked it just yesterday and enjoyed it very much. Yeah, awesome. very good cigar. So guys, let's give you an idea of some stuff we have coming up. Over the next few weeks, uh, um, we're already moving into May now with uh, some some shows we have scheduled. So next week on the 28th, we're going to talk to Dave Garofalo. He is from Two Guys Cigars and the Cigar Authority podcast. 
Uh, and he wears so many different hats in the cigar industry. So we're excited to talk to him about all the different, you know, the different hats that he wears and the different things that he participates in in the industry. Uh, and then moving into May, uh, on May 12th, we're really excited for this. We have uh, Casey and Noah who are starting up a brand new company that's called Char. And they make the most beautiful solid wood ashtrays and cigar accessories that I have ever seen. They're absolutely stunningly beautiful in every way. Uh, and, and you might also know Noah from uh, the iRobusto uh, and Cutlight Smoke. He does cigar reviews and writes articles for iRobusto.com. Uh, so we're excited to have those guys on the show and, and uh, learn about how they started char and making these new cigar accessories. And then following that, on May 19th, we're going to talk to Michael Herklotz from Nat Sherman Cigars. So we're very excited for that as well. And there's more stuff coming up even longer past that in the future. So, Klaus, give us a final idea. You all already told us about your live event tomorrow on Instagram. But uh, give give all of our viewers the, the best idea of where they can keep up with the newest events and the newest news from Davidoff Cigars. Well, definitely follow us on Davidoff Cigars. We're constantly putting a lot of events there, plus a lot of uh, a lot of great marketing materials uh, describing the cigars, different pairing options, and because of this whole situation, we've really gone uh, big on the lives. So we're doing a lot of seminars and we're constantly promoting them. Uh, I will also be jump, jumping on with other people and doing different little things. But if you follow us there, or you, even if you follow me and my personal Instagram. Uh, which is Class Kellner, just my name. Uh, you can definitely uh, reach me there. I'm always there. I can always answer questions. I'm actually one of the people that handles the Davidoff Cigars Instagram. So if you reach me there, I'm probably one of the people that are answering your questions. And I'm normally available, and I love teaching and answering questions and just you know being part of the community. So yeah. definitely there. Uh, for the Spanish-speaking community, I do have a very interesting event on Saturday. We're going to be doing it on Facebook Live. And um, we've done so many seminars in English. We started to do them in German as well. And there's a big, big push also from the Spanish uh, Latin community. And it's definitely very well received. And we hope to keep this up. It, this is something that has changed the world, but it's brought in a lot of new opportunities and uh, we're we're very much uh, looking at it as an opportunity more than anything else. Yeah, and uh, just to because you and I have been talking for for many months about you know uh, getting you on the show and and uh, and things like that, and and just just to kind of close out, we know that um, you know all all cigar companies are always working on on new things, new projects. And we know that, you know, Davidoff's no exception there. You guys are always, like you said, working, working on new blends, working on new projects. Um, and I, I have to assume, you know, that we can, we can expect big things from Davidoff coming up in 2020. Yes. Um, we pushed back a couple of the releases due to the situation, but expect, um, two limited editions, uh, from the core line. So, uh, limited editions that really reflect a lot on what our foundation is and what Davidoff Dominican Republic is. So look out for those. They're going to be very interesting blends with great stories. And then always at the end of the year, we always come out with the year of series. That one is always a hit. 
People love the packaging and we do a uh, year of the series uh, initially for the Asian market, but now it's been such a big hit that we bring it out to the uh, to a global level and the year of the ox is coming. And you can imagine how tasty mm -hmm. it's going to be with a name as the year of the ox. <laughs> I would imagine it's going to be a bold one. Yeah, I yes. would say. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> final notes on, on this delicious cigar. Um, you guys, I don't, I don't bring all cigars down to the nub because typically the nub, it's pretty typical to get a lot of uh, bitter, a lot of acidic and things just build up in the cigar. And, but this is a cigar that you can nub and I'll probably use a nub tool here pretty soon because it is that delicious all the way to finger burning goodness. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's approachable and it's uh, just incredibly tasty. So Klaus, thank you for the Yeah, thank you very it. much. It's been my pleasure. I am glad you guys enjoyed the cigar to the very end. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm there with you. So, guys, thank you, as always, to our viewers. We, we appreciate you guys listening and, and watching the show here live on Facebook and on YouTube. As always, if you have any questions, send us an email. You can do that directly from HowAboutThatCigar.com. You can also send us a question on Facebook. Until we see you guys next time, burn cigars, not bridges. See you guys. Thanks, Thanks guys.